0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at eBayMotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: It's time! It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in another edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Is ready for you. Hi, I'm Chris Mack. Uh, You could be watching this on YouTube. If you're not, you could do that. You could go to youtube.com slash 93.7 The Fan and be sure to subscribe there for notifications when all of our videos are available, including episodes of Fifth Avenue Face Off. If you prefer the audio version and not this along with it, this, I'm voguing my face right now. Anybody under the age of 40 has no idea what that means. It was a Madonna song, look up the video. If you prefer the audio version only, by all means, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, download, listen, rate, and review. We appreciate all of those things, especially the ratings and reviews, uh, so that others know where to come when a new season of Penguins hockey begins in the fall for new episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Now, that being said, doesn't mean we don't have a lot to talk about this spring and this summer. Get to your Odyssey app. You've got plenty of time to download it. Go do it now, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and just tap follow up there in the upper right-hand corner, and that's the best way to get notified of new episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff, which we will dial back from, say, two or three a week to probably one or two a week during the playoffs and the offseason, but there will be plenty to learn from watching the playoffs and plenty to happen during the playoffs, I would imagine, and into the offseason. The Pittsburgh Penguins will be looking for a new general manager and new upper management team, as Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. Kaput. Gone. Not dead. Oh, God. No. That would would be way too much. Just out of a job. Um, And so they'll be looking for a new upper management team. And what's that look like? Do they go in the direction of people with Penguin connections? Uh, Jason Botterill, the AGM in Seattle, working under Ron Francis, Former GM at Buffalo, of course, was an AGM here in Pittsburgh. Ryan Bonus, who was a, a pro scouting director here in Pittsburgh for a long time before moving on to Ottawa to become assistant general manager when he wasn't retained by Ron Hextall. Um, Patrick Alveen, people have mentioned him. I don't know. I think he's secure in Vancouver right now as they start a rebuild out there, but you never know. Uh, do they go with someone who's a little more connected around the league? Uh, uh, an older guy, maybe like a Lawrence Gilman. Uh, a Ray Whitney, maybe even a Matthew Darsh. I like Darsh. Um, do they go with someone up and coming? Like uh, Eric Tolsky from Carolina, who interviewed for the Blackhawks gig a year ago. Uh, and Emily Castanguay, the AGM in Vancouver. Cami Granado, who's also an AGM in Vancouver. Maybe a Megan Duggan, who's the director of player development in, in New Jersey. Um, Alex Mandricki in Seattle. She's been lauded for her work with the Kraken. Um, all of those names are a part of the mix. Pat Brisson? Uh, I don't know. He was very, I thought, very uh, very clear back in 2014 when he was, uh, his name was kicked around by the Penguins uh, for what eventually became Jim Rutherford's job. Uh, he was pretty adamant, I thought, that he was not interested in that gig, and I can't imagine he'd be any more interested in it now. Um, he's got too many clients looking for paydays in the offseason uh, that will pay him uh, to... Come to Pittsburgh to be their general manager, even if it would make Sidney Crosby really happy. I think um, there's a lot to get into this offseason. That's just the general manager position and uh, the front office that's built around that general manager. That says nothing of the personnel. Jason Zucker, unrestricted free agent. What's the market going to be like for him? You'd love to have him back, but at his age and what his cap hit may be, can you balance all that when you're trying to get younger and faster? Because the important part is that Mike Sullivan has been retained and it's been noted he will be an important part of the transition. Mike Sullivan's not going anywhere. For the people that believe Mike Sullivan may be at the root of the problem or at least a very large part of the problem, not going anywhere. And so, you know, that means they're going to want speed and skill. What's that mean for uh, a Brian Dumoulin a Dmitry Kulikov, a Nick Benino, a Jeff Carter for that matter? Will he be mm, coaxed? into retirement? Does he want to retire on his own because he sees that his game has slipped? Will there be guys bought out? Mikhail Granlin, Jeff Petrie. Um, and this all belies. Guys traded maybe for, for prospects or draft picks or cap relief. Brian Rust? I don't know. Uh, this all belies the fact that you've still got to figure out the goaltending situation as well. And are your core three still in it to win it? Do they believe they've still got gas left in the tank? Can they put together a few more healthy and productive seasons, Crosby, Malkin, and Latang? Wow. Yeah, so there will be plenty to talk about this spring and this summer, and we'll do it throughout here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. But uh, really lucky to be joined by 93.7 The Fan Sports Director Jeff Hathorn today, uh, who was in Columbus covering the regular season finale where the Pens blow another lead. Uh, <laughs> Great story about who he rode the elevator with in Columbus. You'll hear that in a little bit. And as we are a couple times a week, Eric Tangrady checks in as well to discuss his point of view, his perspective as a player on how this thing came to an end and where it goes now. Eric Tangrady next, right here on Fifth Avenue Face Off.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
3: It's time. It's time to hit the ice,
1: penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack joined now by Eric Tang Grady, former Pittsburgh Penguin. One thing we know did not happen during your time in Pittsburgh, Eric. They never missed the playoffs. I don't know if we give you all the credit for that or maybe everybody else is still part of things. But what the heck, Uh, we'll give you a little slice of it. 16-year streak of going to the postseason, longest active playoff streak in North American sports has come to an end, as has the tenure of Brian Burke and Ron Hextall. So, before we get to upper management, before we get to... Uh, the off season and how we expect things are going to go. I want to start you with this because you have a unique perspective on it. And that perspective is uh, exit meetings. This happens in every major sport. You meet with somebody on the way out the door before you head off for a summer of healing, relaxing, golfing, and getting ready for next year. So here we are, they've reached their exit this year a whole lot earlier than any other season before um, what are those exit meetings like in your experience and how do you think they'll go this year, depending on who they're with?
2: Yeah, that, that, that this is probably a unique situation for every player in that locker room. I mean, I don't know how present um, former employees are going to be in those meetings, who's going to lead them. Um, right. it, it, it generally in a traditional year, you just kind of recap the season. You go over, you know, things on a personal level, on a team level, Obviously, there's layers to the player. Crosby, the, the the leadership group, will have a separate meeting. Their meetings will probably be double the time as a, a younger player who's kind of transitioning from the minors to the NHL as an everyday player. Um, you know, when we talk start from the bottom, like the, the Drew O'Connors would be, you know, we're looking for consistency. You brought that right. at, towards the end of the season. We need you to build on that and be a bigger piece. Um, where then Crosby, it was – I mean, how's how are you holding up? How are you feeling physically, mentally, emotionally? Um, you know, we want you to know we we're dedicated to building this team. Like, and I would anticipate his meeting being more about the summer of how this team is going to transition next year versus right. talking about him as an individual player because those days of trying to critique and tell Sidney Crosby, you know, yeah. on, a, on an individual level, those those, those are way way long fast. gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> those. those those meetings generally five to fi- you know five five to fifteen minutes, but for someone like Sid in this situation, he may be in there for a couple hours.
1: Well, that that you led naturally right into the next thing I was going to ask you about. Um, what do you think Sid's feedback is on this season, the last couple of years uh, as a whole, the experience under Burke and Hextall, and what he thinks about where this team is headed and what he thinks about um the last couple of years of his career whether we're we've got five six seven years left whether it's just the two left on his contract how how wide swathing do you think that conversation gets
2: I think it gets deep Uh, I really do I mean I think Coming off of this year, he probably still feels like he's primed to win championships. I mean, we're not talking uh, Hendrik zetterberg at 38, 39, 40, when he's just around to kind of be that liaison to transition an, an organization from one step to the next. Like I don't envision Sid wanting to be a part of any sort of rebuild and any sort of transition. And why would he? He's playing his best hockey. So um it, th- th- I mean this is this is twenty four hours after the season ended ending, but I would anticipate him being very vocal and very concerned about the future because he probably feels playing an 82-game season healthy, like I'm buying, I'm on house time. I feel great. I can still win. I can still provide. But, like, where are we headed?
1: What do you think – we've made this comparison before on the podcast to Tom Brady, and I still think it's a valid one because you're talking about exceptional greatness in their field. Um, and in Crosby case, I mentioned just the two years left on the deal after this year. I don't suspect they start talking extension this summer, but what do you think when they sit down and talk about the future? Does Sid say, Hey, I see myself playing until, um, 40 or beyond, uh, does Sid say, well, let's just finish out. Let, let's go year to year as Brady kind of did towards his, at the end of his time in new England. Um, you mentioned uh, certainly he's not going to do any of it probably without his wingmen around li- in Malkin and, and Latang, if not his literal wingman in Jake Gensel and or Brian Rust. Um, what do you think his position is on on how much how much he has left in the tank at this point? And do you see that Brady comparison in that if they don't do it the way he wants to do it, he may say, mm, m- maybe I'm I'm not around for the quote unquote rebuild.
2: Yeah. I mean, a, a, a part of me sees that. I mean, I really do. It's a scary place to, to, to be, but um, I always have these weird inclinations of like this Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby connection of mm-hmm. like, does Sid take a nice discount to go finish his career out in Colorado and go play for titles? Um yeah at the same time like he's done so much for this city how could anyone get mad if that's what he wants to do if um you know the, the stepping stone and the plans aren't in place for this team to win i mean the problem with where the penguins are at right now is like they're they're almost in this two year holding pattern with their salary cap they've got money committed to people that they cannot make significant changes they don't have a top 5 top 10 draft pick to change this franchise or organization so um i think these next two you know next year next two years are going to be very very interested to see um what sid does because he's earned every right to to leave his legacy and he's a proven winner he's won at every level like i i don't think he has it in him to just you know be a be a, a leader and, and just transition a team to the to, to the future
1: well, let me ask you about that then, because, you know, there there are different ways to arrive at whatever they think the roster should look like next year. And a lot of that will have to do with whoever the GM is, whether there's a director of hockey ops working above that person. But as far as clearing cap goes, is it buyouts? Is it, you know, because there's a, a $5 million cap hit on a Mikhail Grandlin, for example, that you can mitigate and spread out over the next four years um, there's a, a, over a $6 million hit on a Jeff Petrie, for example, that you could do the same thing with, you could mitigate it somewhat and spread it out over the next four years. You would, you would hate to pay for guys that aren't on the roster, but that might be the immediate relief you need now. So that down the road, when the cap does increase a little bit more, you're paying for, you know, it's, it's almost like putting things on a credit card at this point and you'll pay it off down the line, uh, or get taking out a loan. And giving yourself the opportunity to build up the roster around the core. Do you see those buyouts happening? Do you see them maybe trying to foist off some contracts on other teams via trade trades of draft picks, or even trades of established players? What's in your mind, if, if we put you in the upper management seat, what's Eric Tangrady doing to try and clear some cap space?
2: Yeah. um, I think that's the most unique thing that I read in um, this press release. Um, Alex Shaw was actually my former agent throughout my pro level and he was brought in. He left it being an agent because he is so good at numbers. So he's kind of their cap guru. And I found it very interesting that they kept him um, on staff to kind of help with this transition to, to clear up that cap space. I think the buyout situation is, again, it's just a Band-Aid on a bigger problem. Right. Um, I think you would look to see. Uh, if they can move assets to, you know, I, I know that Arizona loves to collect draft capital for for salary. Um, I think you have to try and see if you can look during the draft to, to move a guy's money for, for for a pick. Um, it is also a point of, you know, is, is Petrie or some of those older guys, like some of them don't mind hopping on the IR and just kind of like living out there uh, into retirement and getting paid. That could be something as well. But that's what hurts the most about this Hextall burke error, is when you fire a coach, not that the coach needs to be fired, or you trade a player, you kind of get a fresh start the next day. But yeah. when you have a, a general management and a front office put into place some of these contracts and some of these trades, like, yes, it's exciting for the fan base to say, okay, this Fenway Sports Group cares, we're, we're moving forward, but you're going to have to endure some pain of what they did for the next couple of years before things get better. And that's not going to be a quick overnight new GM is going to come in and save the day.
1: Do you get the sense that there was uh, not open conflict, but at least philosophical conflict between, because you, you make a point about what was written in this press release this afternoon, announcing the, the firing of Burke and Hextall and prior. And it, it does, it clearly mentions that Mike Sullivan is going to assist in the transition. Um, does that tell us that maybe there was a little bit of a rift between upper management and Sullivan, Um, And that I guess Sullivan's way might be winning out here.
2: Well, I I think that Sullivan probably holds a lot of the cards in the sense of like, this is, these are the tools you gave me. I am a proven coach. We think, I mean, I think we all think he's a great coach and they just weren't getting the results from the guys that he was given. Um, It also kind of shows me that I think, I think Mike Sullivan is probably here to stay for years and years and years, whether that's coaching, transitioning into the front office, like, not very often do you have a coach aid in front office decisions? Sure, he has his perspective on players that he'd like to highlight, but to go and say he is going to be a focal piece aiding in our transition of management, like I think that 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 shows that he's here for a long time and he he may even be someone that transitions into that front office at some point.
1: That's a great point because we don't really see guys hold that sort of, I think of Ken Hitchcock as the classic example, the GM slash head coach role anymore. Um, that just doesn't happen. And I'm not suggesting that Mike Sullivan's going to take on that role with this organization. I think it's too much for one person to handle, to be honest, but you know, if it, if it turns into something like that in the future where he transitions from coaching into the front office, maybe as the Crosby Malkin Latang era comes to an end, that would certainly be interesting. And I think, that will help decide the direction of this rebuild and whether, you know, part of the rift, I think if it did exist between Sullivan and Hextall and Burke, Eric, is that Sullivan has a, has a clear uh, delineation, an idea in his head, a philosophy, like I said before, of what he wants a team to look like, which is speed. He wants that to be the primary focus. Whereas I think Hextall and Burke had started to try and turn in the direction of size and Strength and grit and jam and all those, you know, all those words that we use, you know, uh, Ruda, Kulikov, um, you know, Heinen, uh, McGinn before him. And those are pieces that I don't necessarily see meshing with the Mike Sullivan system. If it comes down to choosing, I think we get a clear idea that this will be speed uh, winning out over, say, like I said, grit or jam or uh, sandpaper.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the the problem with Brian Burke and his vision of Enron Hextall. Like, they won cups a decade ago. You know, yeah. he won in Anaheim with, uh, you know, a meat and potatoes, Dustin Penner, Corey Perry, Getzloff, like, big, strong. But that was the game. And just right. because you did that 10, 15 years ago, like, you have to be willing to adapt. Burke went into Toronto, tried to do the same thing, and they just became a slow team. Like, the future is speed. You know, Hextall, L.A., Dustin Browns, you know, like they were all meat and potatoes. The the new unicorns of the NHL are the Tom Wilsons, right? They have speed first, but then they have grit and then they can play. The days of just having big ice filling defensemen and forwards, like those days are done. You have to build around speed. And I totally agree with what you're saying. I think there was a huge disconnect between like, okay, we need to be a sandpaper in your face team. Like, sure, that's great. But if we're too slow to play that way, like, forget about it. Like, absolutely forget about it.
1: Yeah, I just, uh, you noticed it in the comments of Evgeny Malkin, I think, after the Chicago loss, too, where he started to, talk. I mean, before the season, I mean, really only six, seven months ago, Evgeny Malkin was asked about being one of the older guys in the league. And he said, no, 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 we're not old. We're not old. And he said exactly the opposite after the loss to the Blackhawks in that, no, we're we're, we're, we're getting older now and guys are fast and they can't, they can't skate with teams anymore like they used to. And if you're going to bring in supporting pieces, you know, you can have your 36 and 37 year olds who maybe don't have the wheels they used to your supporting pieces better have that speed.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Look at every top team um, in the, in the league and and they can absolutely fly. I mean, like Tampa Bay, and we always go back. It's easy to talk compare the champs. But like when you look at the Tampa Bays to Boston's, like we talk about watching two different hockey games some nights. Like we, we right. watch them, them play. You watch Colorado play. It's like, holy smokes. Um, so, yeah, it, speed, speed kills in this game. It's the future. Physicality is obviously important in playoff hockey, but ultimately speed, speed kills. And that's got to be the direction heading forward.
1: All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room, or I guess the elephant in the crease rather, which is the goaltending situation, because I think when people make the claim that better goaltending this year gets them into the playoffs, they're, they're, they're on point in a lot of different ways. Were there other were there other drawbacks with this team? Were there other issues that, didn't, that went unaddressed? Certainly. But I think better goaltending might have helped plaster over some of those dents in the armor. Uh, and they didn't get it. So Tristan Jari is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Casey DeSmith, he's got a year left on his deal. Um, what, is, what is the solution to a situation in goal in, in an offseason where, we've talked about it before, the free agent market is not very rich nor deep. Um, it might require a big trade. It might require moving personnel. You're not necessarily excited to move. And also trying to clear cap space. Um, you might have to think really outside the box. Uh, Jeff Hathorn, who I'm going to talk to in a little bit was on with the fan morning show with us today and said, you know, maybe it's going after a restricted free agent trying to, you know, uh, tender uh, somebody like a Jeremy Swayman in Boston, for example. Uh, you've got to think outside the box. I would think Eric to fix this goaltending situation that really feels like it's been spiraling out of control since Matt Murray's final season.
2: Yeah, that's the biggest hole uh, for me. And you make, you make a point of, a good goaltending probably, probably gets them into the playoffs. Right. But I don't still envision that like getting them through a round. No, uh, they just no, had no. too many holes elsewhere. Um, I think they have to probably look at trying to find a goalie who had success in the past who's probably a little bit overpaid right now and move money one way to take money in return. Like um, I- I'm looking at the the list of the top goalies in the league. And it's like, you know, they're probably looking at the 30 to 40 range of trying to find somebody who can jumpstart their career again. Like, uh, right. you know, like a, maybe like a Philip Grubauer who's making a lot of money and probably hasn't performed uh, his top top of his his class, um, maybe sending some money there, bringing him and hoping that a fresh start will get his game back. But I don't think you can go out and spend six to, to eight million on a starter because they just don't, you have too many holes and too many gaps. I think it's going to end up probably being Jari goes and, and, and tests the market, mm-hmm. sees what's out there. Um, I would anticipate him probably making high-end backup money, probably somewhere around you know 2 to $3.5 in, in it, possibly in the open market. But uh, I would see it as they have to probably highlight someone who hasn't had their best year making some good money and shifting money the other direction. But, again, we're talking a Band-Aid to a bigger problem because most of these teams that have had success have drafted internally – got three solid entry-level deals out of these guy's and then had to pay them. the teams that pay big bucks for goalies don't really pan out too, too yeah. well in this league
1: yeah i mean it really is you know i'm just scrolling through the list of names and i mean i mentioned an rfa like swayman he's young and 24 but again you're talking about an offer sheet and going through everything involved <clears throat> there same with Samsonov off in toronto um and and then you come around to like you said the guys who are maybe looking to get to reclaim something like a like a Martin Jones, maybe, I guess. But Seattle's not letting him walk without a fight, especially on the cap hit that they have him at. Same could be said of Gustafson in Minnesota or Freddie Anderson in Carolina. It's just, it's not a quick or easy fix. And it's going to take a lot of creative thinking. It's not simply going out on the market and getting it done. So all that being said, let me circle back around then to where we started, which was the exit meeting. And I'm just curious like what is breakup day you get through the exit meetings right and everybody's disappointed everybody's down what is breakup day typically like like we see it from our perspective in the media or as fans we see guys looking you know down and depressed naturally so because their seasons come to an end and we see the sticks getting taped up to get shipped back home or whatever it is the gear is all packed away um what's breakup day like in the room and for the guys and is there sometimes a sense of relief is there uh, it just, just what's it like that day. And then the the few days following it.
2: Yeah. So it, everything happens very, very quickly. Like I would bet that they're probably in the room today, getting things organized, getting packed up. Um, you know, I'll, i would be interested to see, you could always tell, and it's, it's not as visible as you get to the, the, the normal fan. But if you start seeing these guys like head out of town in like two, three days, like they're pretty ticked off. Like they're pretty ticked yeah. off, and like there might not have been as some as much cohesion in that room as we like had thought. Like in a traditional year, if you have a good playoff run, a good season, guys will hang out for a couple of weeks. They don't want to leave each other. But I would anticipate they go through the meetings. They have a couple nights. They get together. Maybe a will cook out or something like that. And I would say guys are probably going to start hitting, and getting out of town as quick as can, they can because I think there's a, probably a lot of frustration um, in that room, and there's just so much uncertainty as well that. I don't know. I feel like some of them may want to be remove themselves just from this environment and decompress and just try to probably do some soul searching as well. Yeah,
1: it's going to be something to wait to uh, to watch the way this offseason plays out. Tango, thanks for the time today, man. Thanks for the time throughout the regular season. If you don't mind, we'll call on your expertise occasionally in the off season, both as the playoffs get started and then as we rapidly hurdle towards the draft and free agency and a new season in the fall, man. Thanks so much.
2: No, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. We're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be an off season that as a Penguins fan, something we've never been accustomed to. I mean, there's got to be more movement I would say around that July 1st deadline that within this organization than 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 we've ever seen. So it will be an exciting time to talk about hockey as we move forward, but um, NHL playoffs, nothing beats it. This is the Uh greatest time in the world to be a hockey fan. So I am, As disappointed as I am to not see the Penguins, like, you know, get into the playoffs and and watch them, there's going to be some incredible ice hockey here for the next few months, and I'm I'm pretty juiced up for it.
1: Yeah, this is going to be, even without the Penguins in it for the first time in a long, long time, you're right, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs, man. There's nothing like that first two or three overtime game and guys dragging themselves up and down the ice. Leaving it all out there. It is, it's the best postseason in sports. So look forward to talking to you about it, man, as it gets going in the next week here. Appreciate the time. Yeah,
2: you too. Thanks, man.
1: Always great to pick Tango's brain about any number of things, but especially the atmosphere in the room. Heard the word frustration there. I can just, you know, you got it on the faces and in the voices of the guys in that room the last few nights not just after blowing the lead to Columbus in a meaningless game. I think it was Jason Zucker who said just not a lot of energy out there, uh, but you could see it, you know, the sagging slumped shoulders when they came out to hand jerseys to the fans after the Chicago loss and uh, statements that night after that loss of Genny Malkin talking about, as I mentioned earlier, um, they're just, they're starting to feel old because they are now granted. Malkin, Crosby, latang they all had good seasons. Great seasons, I think, in Malkin's and especially Crosby's case. So there's more in that tank, but um, a, a whole lot of soul searching, I think Eric called it, Uh, for a lot of these guys to do as the offseason rapidly approaches for them and the Stanley Cup playoffs get started up here in the next couple of days. Somebody who was in the room to see the reaction of those guys Thursday night in Columbus joins me next from 93.7 The Fan, sports director Jeff Hathorne, next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered. With all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. It is another episode of 5th Avenue Faceoff. Rolling on, thanks to Eric Tanggrady. And we bring in the man, sports director for 93.7 The Fan, Jeff Hathorn, who has been all over the Pens all year, all around them, covering all the storylines and all the angles, and was there. Thursday night in Columbus promptly covered the game and then got in his car and drove home and then woke up this morning and one of the first emails he got was, "Yeah, we're firing everybody. Come on out to Cranberry and cover a story." And so Jeff will be doing that today. Thanks for making the time, Jeff.
3: I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You know, we were tipped off a little of like, "Hey, um make sure you're checking your email tomorrow." Yeah. So we yes. had a little bit of a feeling. We just didn't know what the extent of the moves that were going to be made.
1: Well, the story you told on the fan morning show earlier today too, was great about you and Dan (laughs) King of Pittsburgh hockey. Now getting in the elevator at the same time as Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. And the two of them just looking like dead men walking. Yeah.
3: Oh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was before the game and we were both like, let them go. And Mm -hmm. the elevator attendant's like, no, we got to get people like get in there. So we walked in and did the head nod and, uh, they just stared right through us. Oh man! And well, they knew I it mean, was coming. Listen, I, I don't think it was a lack of trying. Um, I I just think that their whole plan, the communication, the yeah, how they attempted to do it, the execution was just bad. Well, let
1: me start with the atmosphere in Columbus uh, Thursday night. Um, and you're in the room covering it. So, just did the weight of this thing seemed to be settling in because it felt like it kind of happened in a slow, slow wave rather than a a flash flood and a tidal wave rolling in. It it hit them obviously on Tuesday night when they lost to the Blackhawks that it was probably over, but then the Islanders go out and win on Wednesday. Um, and I, I, I got the sense, you know, Jason Zucker saying that there wasn't much energy out there on Thursday night in Columbus, um, that it really sort of sunk in during that 24 hour period Between the end of the Islanders game and the end of their own game and blowing yet another lead um, against a team that simply wasn't as good as them uh, in in the Blue Jackets, a team that was trying to lose to get an advantage in the Conor Bedard sweepstakes. Um, Did did it really sort of sink in finally as those guys walked
3: back into the room on Thursday night? So it's a long season, you know, they're training all offseason for the most part. They start in September. It's a really long year. They're dealing with peaks and valleys, injuries, all these things. And then the week this this week, holy cow, how did the Islanders lose to Washington? Like Washington is giving up. How did right. they lose that game? We got this. We got this. We're gonna roll in. It shirts off our back. It's Chicago. They're trying to lose. Mm-hmm. I think they don't want to win. It's 0-0. Zero, zero. Oh, it's one-nothing. Okay, we tied it up. Got that goal. Malkins fired up, we're going to finish this thing out, and then bam, motion changes a 100%. You know, 100%. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, they go to a practice. You can kind of tell they're like, uh, But there's still a chance, because what the hell, they lost to Washington. Maybe they'll lose to Montreal. Right. And then Thursday, their morning skate consisted of three players on Thursday. Uh, not that they are all fully attended, but uh, and then you could see the game. I, I think they tried in spurts. Like if there were odd man rushes, like you could see the momentum. And and I don't think they ever dogged it. Um, but it was just weird. It was an exhibition game. Yeah. It was like being in Columbus for one of those exhibition games. And I mean, I, as Sullivan said after, it's, it's hard to read anything into that game. Um, you can imagine how drained they were, how proud they are, and knowing that not only are they missing the playoffs, but they – had it in their hands. And even with the losses, some of the bad losses in October, November, and the blown leads, mm-hmm. they still got more chances and they just couldn't do anything with them.
1: Yeah, I got the sense in listening to some of the sound that you got, watching some post game clips, that the weight of every single one of those blown leads or losses to teams that weren't as good as them or losses on the second half of a back-to-back or whatever it may be all of those missed opportunities over the course of those seven months that you talked about all came you know I I said it was kind of like a slow wave but it was more like a tidal wave everything just sort of washed over them from late Wednesday night into Thursday night um and it was it was kind of like a numbing agent and and I wonder if these guys if it'll really hit most of them and before they're
3: back home and and Let's let's be real. It's easy for fans or media just to look at it and say, come on, what's the real chance to win the cup? Have you seen the Rangers play? The Devils have a good lineup. Boston is playing incredible. But in that room, they still believed. Right. Over the last four years, they believed that every one of those and they can justify it, especially last year. You know what? If we had a goalie, we win that series. And they're right. And look, the Rangers went to the Eastern Conference Finals all right, you know, we're, we're healthy. Our big guns are healthy. They're signed. You know, we, we feel good about this group. And yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think there was a big crash and, you know, when we walk into the room uh, to do interviews post game, it's, you know, it's like rats come in and everybody <laughs> scatters, which is probably a, probably an apt description of what they think of us. Right. Uh, so, but you know, I credit Zucker who's a free agent, Latang. Crosby, Jari, and uh, Jari, who came back into the room, uh, who all talked to us.
1: Yeah, um, we'll get to him in a second, uh, but it, uh, 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 a bigger sort of 50,000-foot question. How long is it going to take to get out of this hole that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke have dug this organization over the last two-plus years?
3: I think, to be fair, you have to step back to Jim Rutherford Yeah, because Rutherford, Very true. Rutherford played to win now. And that's what I would have done if I was GM. I'm not blaming him, but at some point that bill comes due. And it's starting to come due for this team. When you trade all those draft picks, uh, you, you try to, you know, you make a brassard move, which at the time made sense. Yeah. But man, that was your goalie. That was your guy. Um, and and those things happen in those moves, and and they're paying for I mean, man, this AHL roster bereft I mean, of of any prospects i mean and they've had some things sam pullin dealing with some some mental uh, issues and i hope i wish him the best uh but legare doesn't look like he's going to be an nhl or if he is he might be a bottom line zach Aston reese type i mean yeah. some of these guys they i, I think they miss scouted which happens i mean you don't get every draft right uh, but when you have only so many picks you have to hit on them and they haven't and Uh, it's that's you know, not only to fill in roster spots on the Penguins, but you got nothing to enticing to trade, right? If you're looking for somewhere else, uh, now this new and now this new GM team is going to come in, whoever it ends up being, and they're going to have about 16 million probably in cap room with a lot of big decisions to make, and then they got to figure out okay, which of these guys can we buy out because. is it better to just not even have a few of those players?
1: Yeah, I, and there's buyout candidates. There are unrestricted free agents. There are, you got a possible retirement in the mix with Carter. Um, you've got trade possibilities. As we look at climbing out of the hole, I mean, what, what's, if you had, if I put you in the seat, in the chair for a day to sort of set the course going forward, I mean, it's hard to to prioritize all of this, but I think my priorities would be Let's buy out Granlund. Let's buy out Petrie. Uh, clearly overspent on him. Clearly gave up too much in Granlund for a guy who's just wallpaper. Um, let Dumoulin, Kulikov, and Benino walk. See if you can convince Jeff Carter, if he hasn't been convinced already, that his time is up. Um, not that that will necessarily help you on the cap, because right. when he signed the deal, he was 35-plus. Um, and then lean into re-signing Jason Zucker lean into finding a goaltender in any way possible, because they're going to have to get creative uh, and think outside the box for that. And that, th- that would be, I guess, sort of my action plan going into right. the off season. I, I don't, does that all make sense so, to you or do you, do yeah, you look at it, it from does. a different perspective?
3: I, I agree with that. And I would say this, if I'm the GM, uh, I bring in Crosby, Malkin, Latang. They're your core. You have identified them. They're the guys you're going forward with maybe even Jake, if you want to include him, because his contract's going to be coming up after next year Mm -hmm. and just say, listen, here's our plan. We've got to get younger. We've got to get younger players, which doesn't mean we're giving up, but we think in order for Mike Sullivan's system to work, we're going to go away from some of these experienced guys. We're going to lean on you guys to teach them, to show them the way. Um, And you've got to buy in that it's okay there's going to be guys that you don't know because we've got to make this transition uh, and make sure that they buy in, that they're not giving up or that they're not going into a full rebuild. That's what I would do. And that's what I would hope the next general manager would do because, you know, hanging on with the, with, with some of these guys, even Zucker at 31, depending on what he's looking for, if someone offers him like 6 million a year. Yeah. It might be time to let him walk as well. And and I love the way he plays. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Um, but if you can get two guys at 3 million a year that are younger and up and coming, or, or you can outbid get some teams on restricted free agents, I would rather go in that
1: direction. I, I think that brings up a good question too of, um, you know, it, it, for example, I, I'll bring up Brian rust because I think he's a great trade candidate in the off season, but you're also trading, trading low. on, on, on Brian rust. Rust. So if you're, if you're trading low on rust, uh, are you going to get enough in return? Um, a guy with what, five years left on his deal at fi- over 5 million apiece, something like that. Um, you know, plus you're talking about a guy who both Crosby and Malkin are comfortable with and know how to play yeah. with. Um, I-, I just wonder when you talk about getting younger and it's going to take trades to do that. It's yes, they have to get younger. They have to get faster. They've got to find more kneelanders of the world. Um, but they can't give up a Nylander or a Pedersen for that matter. You know, Pedersen's 26, future top line defense, top pairing defenseman for you, someone to play alongside Chris Letang in his waning years. You can't trade that guy who's at a a pretty affordable $4 million a year. So I, I, between the buyouts that are necessary, the trades that might be necessary, and then, oh, let's, let's lump on top there, the goaltending situation as well. It's, it's, there's a lot that has it's to tough be done. Job.
3: It's a tough job. And listen, there's there's pluses to anyone applying to be the Penguins GM, um, their history, their tradition. But what is going to be the new tradition with this ownership group? Are they going to be the same special group that does goes in above and beyond and does extra things for people's families that we've heard so much about over the mm-hmm. years? Like, Is that going to be part of this, or is it going to be just a very corporate you know, environment that's, environment that's much yeah. different than what we've seen. And no matter who you bring in, you're you're saddling them with all of these problems that are not easy fixes. And, you know, for as much as Burke and Hextall screwed up, not all of it is on them. It's not just their mistakes as to why they're in this and switching GMs is not going to make them, you know, the New York or the New Jersey Devils or New York Rangers or Boston Bruins for that matter. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do. So let's
1: ask that question then. Who is next? Um, there, I, I kind of, I've broken it out in my head to sort of three or four different criteria that I think people fall under, groups, classifications that people fall under. There are the Penns people, right? Jason hmm. Botterell, who you mentioned. Um, Ryan Bonus, who was a uh, pro Good scouting director yeah. um, and is young too, just yeah. 39, I believe. Uh, you know, there's some people who say, why not make a run at bringing Patrick Alvin back? I don't know if he has interest after just being on the job for a year in Vancouver and coming back here, although we know Vancouver has been a bit Um, topsy-turvy. That's one group, Penn's people. There's another group of the people who are quote-unquote connected, right? Um, A Matthew Darsh, for example, uh, a Lawrence Gilman, who's a little older, 58, uh, but has ties in the league, uh, is in Toronto, a Maple Leafs guy, Ray Whitney, Who's uh, a, a little older as well, just cresting fifty. But obviously, is a former player, Ryan Martin is fifty-ish as well. So there's the I would I wouldn't say they're all old boys network guys, but you know, established names from around the league that people recognize. There's the upcoming uh, group, the up and coming group, uh, and Eric Tolsky from Carolina, who's forty-two, the AGM who interviewed for the Blackhawks job last year. There's a raft of. Women candidates, possibly female candidates, Emily Castonguay in Vancouver, Megan Duggan in New Jersey, um, Alex Mandricky in Seattle, Cami Granado mm-hmm. also in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one other classification that I have off to the side up here in the corner, just sort of lurking, Jeff, much the way this name lurked near the situation the last time they were looking for a GM, pre Jim Rutherford, post Ray Shiro. And no, it's not Pierre. Oh, I know. I saw the gleam in your eye. (laughs) I was going to call you Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) Pat Brisson. If you're looking at a way at trying to not placate, that's a bad word, but trying to engender goodwill and good faith with Sidney Crosby in his waning years, there could be worse ways to do it than bringing his agent in as the GM, which they tried to do. Like I said, almost 10 years ago now when they moved from Shiro to Rutherford, that's an outlier. I'll admit, but it's one I kind of have kind of up here in the corner here that I can't my peripheral vision. And then there's those other three groups. um What path do you think they go down? It's hard to tell because, like you said, yeah. it's Fenway, and we don't know how they're viewing this. And and they don't have a track record in hockey. Um, do they lean on someone local like a, a Kevin ackland I don't know. He's more of a business guy. Are you going to ask right. him to make that decision? Um, this is well, this is not their expertise.
3: This is not the year to hire a business person as GM because they have so many hockey moves to make. And it's mm-hmm. different than say, Omar Khan, who is a business guy and, and surrounds himself with really good people. The Steelers have done a nice job, I think in that regard, but I think you need to have a strong hockey person. Mark Bergevin is a guy If Mario. were still involved in the franchise, which he is yeah. no longer. Um, that would be someone that would be intriguing to me because he's had a lot of experience. Uh, I think it's got to be somebody. Well, it can't be Danny Briere. No, imagine no. another flyer coming here. Like we can wash that one off. Uh, I'm really intrigued by Camry Renato. I, I know the name. I, I think because of the name, you don't have to placate the fans, but I think mm. the fans be like, "Oh, I, I've heard of her." Right. Most of them have. I remember her brother. Yeah. Yeah. I think the people in the room and remember uh, Amanda Kessel has spent a year interning with the penguins this year. Oh yeah. And Amanda's been around. I don't think she's ready for this job, but my point is they've been around someone that was a really good female hockey player. I think there's some grown respect because of her being around, not that they didn't respect them, but you get what I'm saying that bringing in a cammy is not a shock of like, wow. This is, this is something that has never been done in the NHL before. Uh, She obviously has a lot of knowledge. It would be who you would surround her with, but that's someone to me that's kind of an inspiring new uh, person that you could support with other people. Um, I like the idea of youth, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not opposed to someone that has been in this type of situation before. Problem is, you don't hear about that much because it's almost impossible to get out of this situation. You know, Detroit thought they had, they had it figured out. You know, they're, they're hockey town. Like right. They're not going to have a stretch. I mean, they're, they're in the playoffs every year. Well, how long has it been? You know, Chicago yeah. has fallen apart. It's, it's not easy. Um, so it's a re- it's a really tough call. I, I mean, I think Botterill is a really good GM, but I, I for me, I would want someone from outside the organization. I, I think it's time to find, I, I thought Rutherford was a good hire from the outside. And I think it's time to hire from the outside again, bring some different ideas because I, I, don't, I don't love any of the candidates, uh, even though there are some experience um, of people that have the well, ties. And, re- and please, no Ray Shiro part two.
1: No, I yeah, I I, I I kicked that one to the curb as soon as I, I as soon as it fleeted across. Love Ray,
3: great job. Yes. How many times do reunions work? Never. We've seen it. Never. Numerous um, times.
1: The, the, another name I should have included. Actually, I just thought of this because I talked to some people about him this morning. As a Penns person, even though he is up in Buffalo now. Um, is Sam Ventura? I, I saw Jesse mm. Marshall mention him last night. Patrick Damp mentioned to him, him to me this morning. My only question with Sam would be, and and this is not a knock against him because I don't know Sam and I don't know where his experience in Buffalo has taken him. To be quite honest, is is it still all about the the analysis and the research? That stuff's fantastic, and especially right. with a coach who wants speed and skill, I think those two things mesh well. The question is. Who then is going to be the person to rub elbows at a GM meeting? Um, Who's going to play sort of the Brian Burke role, uh, the hobnobber, for lack of a better way to put it? Who's going to network? Does Sam have those relationships around the league? Because ultimately, it's it's still going to come down sometimes to, okay, it's deadline day, and we've got to make a move, and I've got to pick up the phone and be able to call guys that are comfortable with me, and I'm comfortable with them. As much as this is about building around the core, and you can do that with statistical analysis and everything Sam has come up with when he was a part of the Penguins organization, can you pick up the phone and call somebody and they trust you because you've built a relationship with them to get something done?
3: Here's another question. Will the Fenway group be willing to spend to hire multiple GMs? And what I mean by that is someone that has the GM title, right? but then how much are you going to spend for your director of scouting? Assuming that, you know, that's a different person. How much are you going to spend for your assistant GM? And those people have to have roles. Again, because it's, I think most people understand it. Like from the Steelers standpoint, Omar has a role. Yes. They have other guys that have roles. They need to have that defined. I think the Hextall-Burke was always a weird thing of like, who's in control? Whose plan is it? They can't have that this time. Just a strong GM and then people under him or her um, that can do their jobs and they can work well together. And uh, I, I would not involve any of the, the core in this process. Um, but like I said, as soon as that person is hired, they need to sit down with those. Cause the, the first thing they need to do, I think even before Sullivan gets on board with what they're talking about is they've got to make sure that those players are on board with what they're thinking.
1: Good point. And then I think the first move personnel wise, anyway, you know, we mentioned the priorities earlier and how do you clear cap space and all that is the elephant in the crease, as I called it earlier with Eric. Um, you've got to figure out the goaltending situation because that is the difference in my opinion. And look, there was a lot of holes in this team, a lot of problems with the roster and all that uh, performance by guys on the depth lines. Um, but if you have better goaltending, healthier goaltending maybe and better goaltending, you're probably getting ready to play the Bruins and who knows how long that would last. It might only be a week and a half, but, um, better goaltending I think makes up a big part of this and they have, it's makes up a big part of the last five years really. And the shortcomings of these, you know, five straight years of of, of not having a a victory, a series victory in the Stanley cup playoffs. So how do they, how do they handle that? That is going to be the most difficult part of this off season, I think.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh. How do they handle that? Uh, that <laughs> that it no, oh, it's it's a big part of of what they're doing this off season. Listen, Tristan Jari at times tantalized you, and I think before he got hurt, for mo- a lot of the first half of the season, he was a top tier goalie. I'm not saying one, two, three, but he was top ten. I think mm-hmm. that's fair. His numbers were all there. Uh, he was playing some good hockey, and then when the injuries happened, he was he was different problem is we've seen the injuries now a few times uh, and that is a concern with him uh you don't have there isn't a free agent market that where there's somebody yeah. that wows you unfortunately and and i think it, it you don't need to have a 10 million dollar a year goalie or even a seven or eight million dollar a year goaltender to have success um, I think the reason that some of these Boston goalies and I like Swayman, for instance, is a restricted free agent. That's intriguing to me to make a a play for him, but is he good because they have really good play in front of him Um, as, as much as it, and I'm talking in circles because I can understand a part of bringing Jari back uh, because I don't think he was always helped.
0: Um,
3: But I also think, the injury, I, I just think it's time for a fresh start. You're bringing in a new GM. Let the GM help pick his his general manager um, or his general manager. Have the GM pick his goalie and kind of go from there. But it's not a, it's not an easy decision. And much like with the forwards or defensemen, there is no option in the minor league system. Philip Gustafson's a restricted free agent too. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> but, I, but I think my thing with Boston though is, I don't know with Swayman being the backup. Yeah. How much are they willing, you know, if you offered him 4 million a year, I don't think Boston's going to match that. No. And,
1: and and they don't have to with all Mark. You're yeah. right. they they they're, they're solidified in that spot, especially if they go on a deep run this year, they're not going to, you're right. They, they're going to be okay. Having their second goaltender poached. If
3: that's the case that they feel like they can get by without. Them. Right. And if they feel like they play the type of system where they could put in nearly anybody and have success I mean, look at that Ottawa goalie who basically was an ECHL goalie who held the pens to one goal. Why? Because he saw every shot. Yeah. So as much as it is the goalie, and, and that is, they've also got to find some pieces that can help clear out those spaces because uh, there were several times where Jari stunk, but it wasn't all on Tristan.
1: Jeff, thanks for making the time. I know you got a, a boogie to Cranberry to cover what should be an interesting press
3: conference. We get to talk to one of the ownership group. Ooh, I didn't know they were real. I thought they were figments know, right? of our imagination. Um, this might this might last an hour. We
1: have, we have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't suspect there will be a lot of answers though. A lot last of- Last tap- question. <laughs> I, f- I foresee a lot of tap dancing, but best of luck to you and everyone else out there trying to dig things up. Uh, thanks for again for making the time today, man. Thanks, Chris. That man constantly covering events in Pittsburgh, Jeff Hathorne, sports director, 93.7 The Fan, uh, was in Columbus on Thursday night, covered the game, gathered the sound, wrote the stories, drove home, got a little shut-eye, woke up, and is now on his way to Cranberry to cover what should be a very interesting uh, press conference uh, in Cranberry, from Fenway Sports Group, uh, and uh, perhaps I I doubt we'll get very little. Uh, You'll be listening to this podcast after the press conference. The reason I'm comfortable recording this now and giving it to you uh, is because I doubt that they will say very much, if at all, um, about the direction of things. It's just going to be a lot of platitudes about, we thank uh, Brian and Ron for their service and new direction and results weren't satisfactory, all that kind of stuff. Um, I imagine that's what you'll get this afternoon. But credit to Jeff for heading out there and trying to get more answers, uh, as he always does. Thanks to you as well. You know, we're going to probably dial it back to an episode or two per week during the playoffs and the offseason of Fifth Avenue faceoff. But by all means, there won't be any shortage of news. We've got a GM search. We've got a very active off-season, I would imagine. The Stanley Cup playoffs, as Tango mentioned earlier, uh, to keep an eye on and talk about and what that may mean for the direction of the Penguins because, look, major professional sports are copycat leagues, right? You see something work in the playoffs, you say, hmm, maybe we could do that. Maybe you see some guys in these playoffs who, hmm, we'd like to have him. Uh, So plenty to talk about there. And then before you know it, it'll be mid to late June. We'll be talking draft. It'll be... Uh, free agency time, early July. And then after that, not much longer before the season, at least training camp gets started again. Be sure to, if you haven't already in your Odyssey app, just tap follow up in the corner there. Uh, and you will get notified of new episodes as soon as they are available. A fifth Avenue face off, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, subscribe, download, listen, like rate review, all those things. We appreciate them. Um, and also youtube you know if you're watching if you can see my face right now i'm pointing to it with my fingers Uh, what else would i point to my face with my toes i'm not that flexible um then you know to subscribe to 93.7 the fan on youtube and you'll get the newest episodes of fifth avenue face off as soon as they're available there as well just tap that little notification bell and that will happen until next time friends keep it here we're gonna have a very very busy spring and summer on fifth avenue face off